Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading from Esther can be found in the Church Bibles on page 508, beginning at chapter 9, verse 18. The Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th, and then on the 15th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. That is why rural Jews, those living in villages, observe the 14th of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting, a day for giving presents to each other. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy, and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote to them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy, and giving presents of food to one another, and gifts to the poor." So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the poor, that is, the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, He issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, these days were called Purim from the word poor. Because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it upon themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province, and in every city. And these days of Purim should never cease to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of them die out among their descendants. So Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter concerning Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Xerxes, words of goodwill and assurance to establish these days of Purim at their designated times, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed for them, and as they had established for themselves and their descendants in regard to their times of fasting and lamentation. Esther's decree confirmed these regulations about Purim, and it was written down in the records. King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores, and all his acts of power and might, together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai, to which the king had raised him, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia? 
Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. Thank you very much, Heidi. Shall we pray as we come to think about this last part of Esther? Father God, we do indeed thank you that you are a God who speaks to us, that you have spoken through acts in history, and you speak to us through the words of your scriptures. We thank you that you want to be known by us, and we pray that tonight we would learn more of you and how we should respond to you. Father, may these words from Esther live to us tonight, and may, as you speak to us through them, may you shape us and change us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on the 8th of May uh, last month, it was 70 years since VE Day, uh, 70 years since Winston Churchill declared that uh, victory in Europe, that the war was over. I guess, uh, looking out, there was a, a few people who were there that day. I don't mean to be, to be rude, but remember that day. Uh, on the day when victory in Europe was declared, there was celebrations. I was watching uh, some of the, the videos of the time in London with streets full of people celebrating that the war was over. Uh, they made a noise. They celebrated. They had street parties. People were dancing in the streets. Uh, the years of hardship had come to an end. There have been years of austerity and rationing, five inches of bathwater, few eggs, no bananas, the motto, make, do and mend. Those days were coming to an end. Coupled with the danger of soldiers was going to be over soon, the fear and anxiety that families had from their loved ones abroad was coming to an end. You see, the war was over and people celebrated. There was joy and gladness and delight. And that's the mood that we see when we come to the end of Esther. After all that's happened in the book of Esther, the book ends with this celebration, with joy, with delight. It's about festivity. It's about eating and drinking together. It's about a joyful party of all that God has done. It tells us why the Jews continue to celebrate Purim from then on. You see, here is unbounded joy that the danger is over. You see, you see the refrain coming time and again through this chapter that there was feasting and joy. And if you flick back a page, you see it starts in verse 17. See, this happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar. And on the 14th, they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. You see the same thing in verse 18 across the page again. The Jews in Suez, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th. And then on the 15th, they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. That's why rural Jews, those living in villages, observe the 14th of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting, a day for giving presents to each other. You see, after all these events have happened, there's time now for feasting and joy. For families to get together and enjoy spending time with each other and celebrating uh, we're not told what they uh, feasted on at that time. I imagine some kind of Middle Eastern mezzi with uh, hummus and little pastries filled with lamb and delights for the end of baklava and maybe dates. And they celebrated together. It was such an important occasion. 
In such an important occasion was it that Esther and Mordecai decided that everyone should join in and do this annually. Remember annually what has happened. And that's what you see in verse 20. You see, Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and the 15th days of the month of Adar as a time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as a month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote to them to observe as day, the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. It's interesting as you read through, there seems to be a little bit of a progression. No, it starts with this spontaneous feasting and joy, and then we get told that they were giving presents to each other as well. And now Mordecai pronounces that they are to feast and joy together. They are to give gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. You see, everyone was to be included. The poor who didn't have very much were to be given gifts so that they too could have this time of feasting and joy to be welcomed in, to join in the festival. And they were to do this every year. It's interesting as well, this was a celebration that they were to do every year, not because God had told them, not because God had commanded it like he commanded them to observe Passover and to remember that every year. This was a celebration because the people decided that every year we're going to remember this occasion. You just look at verse 27 at the bottom of the page. You see, the Jews took it upon themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who join them without fail, should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed at, that, at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation by every family and in every province and in every city. And these days of Purim should never cease to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of them die out among their descendants. You see here the Jews taking it upon themselves to establish the annual feast and festival. And so every year the Jews would spend time leading up to this, agonizing over what the right present would be the time starting earlier and earlier every year as the, the decorations from Purim go up earlier and earlier. Uh, there would be the same dry turkey every year in cranberry sauce, uh, the same favorite family puddings every year to feast and to remember and to have joy with each other. You see, it reminds us that feasting and joy and having times to do that are really important, are good things for us to do. Do we often celebrate the Lord's Supper here together around this table? We often arrange ourselves around here to eat and to drink, to remember the Lord's death. And as we feast at that time, it should be a time for joy and celebration, a time when we look at each other across the, uh, the pen here and we see each other and we celebrate together, we smile at each other uh, to make us think of all that we've done. But you see, then we also feast and have joy other times, don't we? There's those times we've decided to keep, Christmas and Easter, times when there's joy and gladness as we remember all that the Lord has done, moments to feast and to have joy with each other. It's interesting as I read this to see how at that time the, the Jews said it was really important that the poor should be included, that gifts were to be given to them. It makes me wonder whether I do enough to welcome others and enable others to feast and joy at this time as well. 
You see, we have these times to remember, important times, times of festival and feast. But, you know, apparently there was some Puritans in the day who they refused to celebrate Christmas and Easter annually. Now, it's not because they were against celebration. No, I'm told, on the contrary, they wanted to stress the fact that we don't just celebrate Christmas and Easter as if they're the times for joy and celebration, but we celebrate whenever we come together. These times when we come together Sunday by Sunday and celebrate the great reversal that happened in history, we celebrate together then. We have joy. You see, they saw that we were meant to be a people who, as we come together week by week, should celebrate and have joy and delight. And yet what we see in Esther is this is not just any feasting and joy. You see, it was feasting and joy at the end here for a real particular reason. You see, we see it explained in verse 23 and following. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the poor, that is, the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back to his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, these days were called Purim for the word poor because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them. You see, the celebration was celebrating, remembering what had been done in their lifetime. And in their lifetime after, as the descendants came, they remembered what happened all those years before. And so they feasted and had joy. You see, it was a celebration of the sovereign hand in control of God, even when it seemed to be hidden. I don't know if you remember at the beginning of Esther, how the beginning of Esther started with that great feast as, the, as King Xerxes threw a great feast to show how great he was. How he showed, he took 180 days to show people just how wonderful he was and all that he had. Well, the book ends on this note of celebration again, not over an earthly king, but to celebrate what God has done what he had done through the seemingly uh, normal process of life and through all the different coincidences that happened. And I think in some ways that celebration of God is is caught up in the name of the festival Purim. You see, when Haman was deciding on the day to destroy the Jews, uh, he cast some stones uh, called the poor to decide on the day where it should happen. Now, people might, they might have cast dice or consulted the stars to see when it was going to be the best time. But Haman cast these poor, a superstitious act to determine the date. And yet in that chance casting of the lot, God determined the plan and purpose that he would bring about. You see, it's written in the Proverbs, the lot is cast in the lap. But every decision is from the Lord. You see, so the people, as they remembered Purim and the lot cast, they remembered that every decision is from the Lord. They celebrated the sovereign control of God over all things. 
They remembered and celebrated what had happened at that time in God's sovereign plan and purpose. How he was faithful to his plan and purpose. How he had saved his people from the Amalekites, those ancient enemies of old seen in Haman and his sons. Haman and his sons were destroyed as God had promised to defend and to keep his people. They remember the, the actual events. They read through the book every year. Remember that great story, the great drama of what happened as Esther went into the king and as he extended the golden scepter to her. As how that night he couldn't sleep and so read the annals to get him to sleep and heard of Mordecai and then how Haman came in with his plot to kill Mordecai and yet had to parade him through the streets And then that last feast when Esther answered the king's question, who's the one who's done this? And has her finger pointed to Haman and said, the enemy is this vile Haman. They remembered how then the tables were turned and how the Jews got the upper hand. Turned so much that as we read in chapter 10, Mordecai became second only to the king in the land. You see, it's no wonder they were feasting and full of joy. The situation was desperate. And yet it was gloriously turned around. J.R.R. Tolkien, the the author of The Hobbit and The the Lord of the Rings, once coined a term, eucastrophe, he came up with. It's a great word, eucastrophe. And for it was, he coined it for situations like this in a story. You see, eucastrophe refers to a a situation where there's a a sudden turn of events at the end of the story. It seems at the end of the story that the protagonist is going to meet some terrible and impending doom, and yet everything turns around. You see, the people of God saw that eucastrophe in the story of Esther, how gloriously everything turned around at the end of the story. The tables were turned, and so they rejoiced with joy. And their joy and their delight, their feasting and their celebration should be an example to us this evening. You see, for we have even more to delight in than what happened during the time of Esther. We, as the people of God here tonight, as Christian people have a greater and a bigger deliverance. We were in an even more desperate situation than the people of God were here. You see, there was a eucastrophe in our experience too, which was bigger and more glorious than anything that happened to Esther and the people then. But I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel that we can be a pretty unjoyful lot. You see, we seem to be able to fall into the humdrum of life and forget to have joy. And when we come together Sunday by Sunday, we are not marked often by a note of celebration and joy for all that the Lord has done. It can feel sometimes that we do not see that God is great and what he has done for us is marvelous. And sometimes it seems that we're not particularly bothered or concerned about our lack of joyfulness in the gospel. 
You see, when we sing of the great truths of the gospel of Jesus and as we gather Sunday by Sunday to do that, are we full of joy and thanks? Do we delight in the deliverance that we have received through Jesus? Are we joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share with the saints in the inheritance? Are we overflowing with thankfulness that all God has done for us in his sovereign plan? Do we devote ourselves to prayer, to being watchful and to being thankful? Now, you may be doing all of those things. And yet I know my own heart. I know that often I can come here into this building and can sing wonderful, amazing words of songs about the great gospel that God has given us with an almost sad look on my face with a heart which is unmoved by what I'm singing. That I'm not really overflowing with thankfulness, not really being joyful to the Father. And that's when I gather with people who've been redeemed with me by God. As together we are coming to celebrate and sing joyfully. It's those times when we come here and we get to think about those because the words of the songs direct our hearts to the great truths of the gospel. When I hear great truths proclaimed from this pulpit week after week, and yet I can sit there and be unjoyful about all that God has done. And so if I find it hard here to be joyful, then you can imagine what the rest of my life must be like. And yet the people of God at this time, the time of Esther, celebrated and feasted with joy. And while it was a great and magnificent deliverance, it's nothing compared to the deliverance that we've received in the gospel. You see, the Purim celebration remembered the deliverance in Persia at that time of Esther. But as one commentator writes, throughout history... The book of Esther has been read not as an isolated episode in Jewish history, but as symbolizing the final salvation of God's people at the end of time. You see, we do not celebrate Purim now. Rather, we celebrate the gospel of the Lord Jesus, the salvation won by God for us on the cross the certain and uh, uh, the promised future that God has uh, promised to us, which is certain and sure. You see, just think about how marvelous it is that what we have received. We all were those who stood under a death sentence. We were those who were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were those who were unrighteous. And so the judgment that stood over us wasn't the unrighteous sentence of an evil man. Rather, it was the righteous judgment of the just uh, judge of the whole world. See, the Bible tells us that we were enemies of God. The prospect for us was dire. And we knew that. We knew that we weren't right on the inside. I know that now. I know that in the inside, those things which I have thought and those things which I have done are are not good. They put me out of relationship with God rightly. I know that as well, the things that I want to keep hidden inside so that no one would know because if people found out what was inside me and, and what I'd thought about them, then they wouldn't want to be in relationship with me. I would lose all my friends. 
And yet God knew that. And the sentence which God proclaimed was death. Yet we were saved. Not through the judgment of God's enemies, but through God himself coming among us as a man himself to stand in our place. The Lord Jesus in his incarnation became one of us. And he allowed himself to take on himself all the judgment that we deserved. He stood in our place that we might be saved, that that death sentence hanging over us might have been lifted. And at the moment when it seemed that evil had triumphed, he was raised from the dead, vindicated, gloriously raised, and now ascended to the right hand of the Father. It was the glorious reversal of the resurrection that we see means that everything that God had done was successful. While we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, we were reconciled through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And so now here tonight, as those who are God's people, we stand as those who've been delivered from certain death. We are those who are assured of a glorious inheritance kept in heaven for us. And we know that tonight there is nothing in heaven nor on earth which could separate us from the love of God. And God is faithful to that promise. We see it time and time again. And what he has promised we will receive in full when Christ comes again. You see, the, the, the drama of Esther has been, been exciting. I've been excited as I've read through Esther and seen the twists and the turns that happen. Waiting, waiting with bated breath to, see, breath to see what's going to happen next and whether Esther would be successful. Would the people of God be saved? I felt the relief when the tables were turned. And yet all of that points us to the greater drama and deliverance of the gospel where we as the people of God see the turning around of all our fortunes by Christ's death on the cross. And so how we should praise our heavenly father for all that he's done. How we should come with those together to feast and to joy together. How we should come with minds heart, minds and ready and hearts attuned to praise and to delight in him as we come together here Not that this is the only place, but then that would spill over into our lives where we'd be joyful in all that we do, remembering the great deliverance that we have received from Christ. Well, I'm going to pause there, and in a moment we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to be helping us to be thankful and full of praise. And then we will sing and have a chance to praise our God who is the hope of the nations. You'll see the words that we're going to pray together on, the, on page three of the service sheet. You might want to have a, a little look at those. And then Pete will lead us through those just in a moment. In fact, as we um, come to pray, why don't we stand and to pray and then we'll head straight into our, our next two songs. And so do respond in the words in bold as we pray together. For your sovereign control, even when it is unseen. For your faithfulness and your plan that will never fail. For the deliverance you bring through Jesus' death on the cross. 
for the resurrection of Jesus and his glorious reversal. For the certain future and your promised inheritance. In the midst of life, when we struggle to trust, help us remember your sovereign plan, your deliverance won through Christ, and your promises to us. We thank and praise you that Christ became one of us and died to reconcile all creation to you, in heaven and on earth, to call us into peace with you, and to secure our eternal future. Amen.